When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Rants for a window. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Friday, Michael Jordan Day, two, three, two, three, February 3rd, 2023. If you are anywhere in the Northeast, it is cold like Groundhog Day. It's cold out there. Transfer window. We don't talk about that a lot in the United States, but we should because it's part of the Premier League. The transfer window, it's part of overseas. It's cool. It's like a deadline. It's like a trade deadline. The excitement of the NFL trade deadline and the baseball trade deadline, the NBA trade deadline is coming up in six days. Who's going to trade what? There's a million articles. Is your team going to get better? Are they going to get worse? Are they going to go for it? Are you buying or are you selling? That's good. Major League Baseball, that's the parlance of that. Buying or selling. The transfer window when it comes to football players is fascinating because it's the equivalent of what baseball does in Japan where you post, you give money to a team. The team, think about this, teams own players. That's the concept. And if the team wants to cash in on owning that player after having invested and maybe brought that player up through the ranks, through the academies from when they were nine years old, you make them good then all of a sudden they're playing for the team and then they get called in and said, we are selling you. What a terrible way to go. It is a great way to make money. Charlie Finley, the owner of the Oakland A's, sold a bunch of players and all of a sudden Major League Baseball changed its rules saying no more selling players. We don't wanna be associated with that. And even if more than a million dollars changes hands, you need the commissioner's approval, which by the way, shall not be unreasonably withheld and it never is withheld. So in sports, there's money going back and forth. But in football, and I'm going to say football for the rest of this segment, but what I mean is soccer. But I mean football because we can say football because we're talking about across the pond. All these Americans are buying teams over there thinking it's cool. They're going to make money. They're going to be popular. They're going to love it. 
There's like a cachet, a gravitas. Oh, you own Chelsea. Todd Bowley was tired of being second fiddle for the Los Angeles Dodgers and said, I've got an idea. I'm going to go buy Chelsea. And when I get to Chelsea, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick some serious tuchus in the transfer window. I'm just going to take all sorts of players and I'm going to become the Braves. Well, that sounds brilliant. Don't you want to be the Braves? Get a bunch of great young players, sign them all to long-term deals, have cost certainty, and hope that you're right on a couple of them, because then you have them, in theory, under market, knowing that you're going to overpay a bunch of the other players. That's signing young players in baseball. But with Chelsea, in order to sign the young players to deals, you actually have to pay to get them, and you have to pay other teams who have them. It's not like they just get traded for a bag of soccer balls. So there's a transfer window. A transfer window is the time in which you are allowed to do all of the deals you want. And once January ends, you're done. And then what happens is there's a bunch of math that goes on. And then you hear that Todd Bowley and Chelsea, that they have spent $600 million since Todd Bowley took over in the transfer window. Now, keep in mind that not only do you have to pay the team who owns the player, but then you have to pay the player. Liverpool was bought by John Henry, the Fenway Sports Group. Everyone thinks they're great. Everyone's happy with how much Fenway Sports Group is worth, like LeBron James. They've spent a total of $511 million only in the last five years. Todd Bowley spent 600 in one transfer window. Maybe he's had two transfer windows. Coca, how many transfer windows has he had? I want to say it's only one. I think he just took over the team, unless I've lost track of time, which is absolutely possible. But here's the real problem with what Todd Bowley is doing. He is Steve Cohn with four needles in his back, meaning he's on steroids. Now, he's not really on steroids, but that's what his transfer window activity is. Because what he's been doing is he found a loophole. And the loophole that he found is that he was gonna take these players, sign them to eight-year deals, and therefore have to pay the transfer fee over eight years and spreading the fee over eight years. The Premier League said, well, that, that isn't fair. We're gonna make you pay it over five years. And Todd Bowley said, all right, no problem. Change the rules after I've done it. And when I go forward, when I sign the next player, even if I have to give $100 million in a transfer fee, I'll do an eight-year deal to the player, but do $20 million a year in the transfer fee to the team on the receiving end. No problem. All the other owners in the Premier League and La Liga and Serie A, they're a little annoyed at Todd Bowley because they're like the Royals, the Marlins, the Guardians, any low revenue team. And they're looking at Todd Bowley and they're looking at all the rich owners and they're saying, how can I compete? What can I do? Here's what we're gonna do. We are going to send our guy. In Europe, it's called the Corporate General Director. I like that, it's good names. It's like Chaim Bloom, the Chief Baseball Officer. We're gonna send our corporate general director, Javier Gomez, and we're gonna have him say a few quotes so everyone in the world can understand how unfair it is what Todd Bowley's doing. And here's his entire theory in a nutshell. Javier Gomez is claiming that Todd Bowley is doping. I get to use steroids twice, how great is that? What he means by doping 
is that in order to get past the financial fair play rules, financial fair play is a great rule. Baseball has it, it's called the debt service rule. The debt service rule has about as many teeth as someone who just fought Mike Tyson in his prime. The debt service rule in baseball says that you can only have debt according to a percentage, a multiple of your EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, blah, blah, blah. It just means that if you're losing money, you can't have any debt. But there's teams losing money and they have debt because baseball will make exceptions. Baseball will make you have a meeting and make you sign a letter and all the other crap and none of it matters. Financial fair play, well, hold on. Debt service rule was invented to try to keep salaries down. That was the point of it, but I digress. The union didn't even realize that, but I digress. But it's not really enforced, so it doesn't matter because salaries are going up, but I digress. So financial fair play talks about what people can do when you are not making money when you're running a football team. And it limits the amount of losses you can have over years and what they thought that would do is that would keep salaries down and that would level the playing field. What they didn't expect is that owners would come in, buy teams like Todd Bowley has done, and be so rich like the billionaires, the Saudis, et cetera, who've come in, and they write checks, and all of a sudden, the books are cooked to medium rare. Look, our team is so healthy. It's not earnings based on operations, but at the end of the year, look at my balance sheet. Boom, it looks amazing. And the reason it looks amazing, right there in footnote 69, which says, ownership contributions in the past 12 months were $272 million. Huh? Well, yeah, that's how you have to cover cash deficits. If you're operating at a loss, you have to find a way to make payroll. You have to find a way to pay your employees. So you go to your owner and you say, put in money. In baseball, they let owners put in money to cover losses, but they don't let owners borrow money with the team as collateral. They make owners borrow money based on the value of their Picasso or their hedge fund or their Walmart savings. Every time you go shopping at Walmart, you are helping Rob Walton finance the losses of the Denver Broncos to the extent that they have losses, which after paying Russell Wilson, I would say, nah, the NFL teams don't lose money. So the reason why everyone's upset is that if you put in money, you're skirting the rules. And the rules that you're skirting are made to be skirted. I wanna say it again so you're clear. What we do as leagues to try to level playing fields is make it so the richest cannot take advantage of the less richest. Except the richest are rich because they always take advantage of the less richest. In sports, the way you take advantage is by using your balance sheet to have access to more capital, and therefore you have access to more players, therefore you're able to make more mistakes, therefore you're able to win more because you can cover your mistakes. That is really, at the end of the day, the difference between the Yankees and the Rays, or the Mets and the Rays. The Mets can make a million mistakes with all the signings, and it doesn't matter, they just sign more players. The Rays make mistakes, they're totally screwed. So what's gonna happen? Well, the Premier League said, we could change some rules. We could limit what teams can lose. We can try to put in some stronger financial fair play. But who's really in charge? And this is where Javier Gomez, the corporate general director of the Spanish League, said, we know we're going to go to UEFA and we're going to ask them to tighten the ship. 
we're going to make sure that we don't lose more players from our league into the Premier League because what does that mean? That means that our ability to make more money or to keep our stars is diminished. American sports have already gotten past that. They know. Fan bases know 20 of the teams of 30 that you are cultivating your stars, and when they're free agents, they're likely going to sign somewhere else. And does that impact the fandom? Does it impact the value of the franchise? Absolutely not. You take advantage of the opportunities you have when you have them. When your window's closed, pun intended, then you have a bad window, pun intended, and then you start up again. It's the normal ebb and flow of sports. And La Liga is pretending that their ebb is giving way to longer flows of losing, and they want to stop it. Here's the problem with a speeding train. If you step in front of it, you get run over. American ownership, billionaire ownership, Saudi Arabian ownership, Qatari ownership, that's just how it's going to be. It's not going to be fewer teams that are owned by outsiders. It's going to be more teams. So what you have is people protesting and standing up in these countries and saying, we want fewer Americans. We don't like the Americans. We do like them when they win. We don't like them when they lose. Wow, that's really different than ownership here. There's nothing they can do about it. My prediction for what happens here with UEFA is they're going to take a look and they may try to do a few things to curb at the top end. But do you know why really they're not going to do as much as Javier Gomez would like? because they don't want to deal with the possibility of a different incarnation of a super league. They don't want to deal with the reality that the haves could say to the have-nots, we actually don't need you. In baseball, we don't worry as much about a super league. There's a dollar fine. How many dollars have I lost already this year? They, they don't mind. It's been five freaking years. It's enough already. They don't mind because they know the haves need the have-nots because the haves have already said we don't need the have-nots. And then the have-nots have said, great, play without us. And the haves have said, oh, I guess we do need you. But I would say in football across the pond, there's probably a bigger opportunity for all the haves to get together and just keep playing each other because I'm not sure the fan bases would care too much. But it's not going to happen. What do you do? when you're that frustrated competing against someone that you know that you're going to lose to. It's how everybody felt in the National League West in baseball with the Dodgers. You just go into the season, you could be the Rockies saying, hey, we're going to be 500, hip, hip, hooray, call back to a show this week. You could be the Padres and say, hey, I'm so jealous, I'm going to overspend, I'm going to be irresponsible, and now we're going to be favored because I know the Dodgers can't be over the luxury tax and they're not going to sign free agents because they still have Trevor Bauer on their payroll and they're going to reset. So we're going to go for it now. You could be the Diamondbacks and say, hey, we're going to get young, we're going to get bad, then we're going to get good, and we're going to have a window of young players outperforming their contracts. Do you think that'll work because there's expanded playoffs? You sit there all day jealous trying to figure out ways to screw the team in front of you, the big market team, the high payroll team, the high revenue team. You think of ways to outsmart them. You think of ways to start shifting. You think of ways to start moneyballing. But then you realize at the end of the day that no matter what you do, financial might will always beat intellectual muscle. The reason financial might beats intellectual muscle is because you can be super smart and you can take every advantage of that intelligence. But at the end of the day, you're not AI. You're not chat GPT. You're not perfect. Not. 
couple days ago, I thought it was yesterday, Coca said a couple days ago, we had a bit of a, not a tiff, we had a nice discussion about when Stan Kasten and Andrew Friedman and the rest of the Dodgers brass met the media. This is the time of year when media gets met as we head into spring training. This is when the pictures start coming out on social media of the trucks leaving to drive from their home city down to Florida or Arizona. I always would say to our PR people, side note here, Coca, does anyone actually give a crap about our truck going north on 95? Now, it's one thing where you're going from a cold weather climate and everyone's freezing their took us off the way we are right now in the Northeast. By the way, be safe. It is so cold. Do not have exposed foreskin. Um, do not have exposed skin of any kind. You are going to freeze it. But we didn't go south for spring training with the Marlins. We went north for spring training. The only team to go north. Yet we still made a big deal of it. And by the way, the total drive time from the ballpark to spring training, a whopping 54 minutes. These trucks are like, we're going to be there in four days. I always wondered, what, they're not 18-wheel drivers. Those guys go straight through. Give me a little no-dose, a little Red Bull. Let me stop at one little side rest area. Let me have some fun, and I'll be on my way. Nah, it takes four days. Give me a break. So the Dodgers are meeting the media, and when you are in the PR department and, the, and you are head of communications, you're talking to your team president, and you're saying, all right, we got to deal with the Trevor Bauer situation. We have not said enough about it. This is a guy who is $22.5 million of our luxury tax. We released him, but we only did it after 14 days, which was the amount of time after the decision. We waited the full amount when he was reinstated by the arbitrator, and then we released him on the final day. There was a big disagreement about a meeting in Arizona. Like they were in Iceland trying to figure out ending the Cold War. And no one would talk about the meeting except Trevor Bauer, who said they wanted me back, and then all of a sudden they released me. And then the Dodgers said, well, that's not exactly how it went, but we're not gonna talk about it. I always liked that. We would caution our people, when you say you're not gonna talk about something, you're talking about it. So either when asked about it, bridge to a completely different conversation, or if you know that it's something you can't avoid, don't say you're not gonna talk about it because you are talking about it. Now, when you talk about it, you may just say, we're not gonna say anything, but then you look like a fool. I have great respect for Stan Kasten. He has kept the job and run many teams. He was the guy who was running the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta uh, Braves, and the Atlanta what was the hockey team in Atlanta, Coke? I can't remember. Was it the Thrashers? That doesn't sound right, but it was a long time ago. So Stan Kasten still in the game. Andrew Friedman, a uh, eight-figure president of baseball operations who, as you would imagine, is one of the best in, in the sport. A brilliant mind. They take the podium and they're talking. And then Stan Kasten starts talking about Trevor Bauer. And the question was asked, why did you wait so long? the full amount of time to release him, the last possible day before he either had to be added to your roster or released, designated, why did you do that? And he said, we took the time to get as much input as we could to be sure we were making the right decision. I love that. We always say that when we're looking for confirmation bias from different groups, when we're gonna suspend Ozzie Guillen for Castro comments, we meet with Cuban people and members of the community who are influential and let them know and sort of say, hey, what do you think about five games, 10 games, 50 games? Some of them say, fire them now. Some of them say, don't worry, no one cares. Some of them say, whatever you want. Ah, we're gonna listen to you. 
Can you write us a testimonial that you're pleased with our decision? Baseball front offices, your favorite team's front office, does not get input from anybody other than themselves. They say they do. They'll talk to constituencies. It's the same thing as the Cleveland Guardians or the Washington Commanders saying, we're doing a poll. We want to find out what our team should be called. We're going to do a poll and find out how our uniform should be designed. It is total horse hockey. Find me the person who has the ear of the president. So Stan Kasten started off in a bad way. We're going to get the input. That's what we did. We made the right decision. But then he was specifically asked about the meeting in Arizona. And all he would say is, I'm not going to get into contradicting or agreeing with anything about what was supposed to be a private conversation. I'll just say within a very short time, we came back and made our decision. I think that speaks for itself. Here's another nugget when you are talking or when you're writing. You don't need to say, well, this goes without saying, but. Because if it goes without saying, don't say it. Don't say, this speaks for itself. No, it doesn't. Does it have a heartbeat? You're speaking about it. Don't say something speaks for itself and then say what the thing is, because obviously that thing wasn't speaking for itself. You're speaking for it. But when you're running a team, you don't want to speak for anyone else. You want to speak for yourself. But he didn't stop. He had to tell you that I am responsible for everything that happens here when asked about the decision because pound the chest, you're the team president. Now, little known fact, it's actually the control person who is responsible for everything that happens here. You can take responsibility without being responsible. My job was to take responsibility for everything that happened, but there's no way that I'm responsible for everything that happened because I have an owner. And I wouldn't say the owner's responsible for everything that happens because the owner doesn't know everything that happens. I'm responsible for everything that I know that he doesn't that I do. But it's my responsibility to say that I'm responsible, plus it's ego. And then he said everyone who needed to be involved was involved. They were included in the discussion all along the way, and it was dun da 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 unanimous. I've been in a lot of rooms. And if you're in a room with anything other than sycophants, nothing's unanimous. I can't get unanimous consent on what to get for lunch inside a baseball meeting, inside a VP meeting, inside a meeting in the C-suite, the D-suite, the F-suite, the H-suite. I can't get unanimous consent when I talk to myself for crying out loud, meatloaf. Nothing's ever unanimous. It's announced as unanimous. It is presented as unanimous but it always is followed by, hey, when we leave this room, we've got to be a united front. Remember the story I told you about Commissioner Rob Manford who was voted in 23 to seven, and then there was a re-vote because the seven lost and said, why don't we do a re-vote? And then the vote was 30 to zero and the announcement was made. Rob Manford was made commissioner in a 30 to zero vote, and that was a bunch of horse hockey. He was made commissioner in a 23 to seven vote. Hawkeye Pierce, my favorite character, and MASH, my favorite character on TV, would always bemoan the fact that in the peace talks, they spent more time negotiating what the shape of the table would be than figuring out how to end the conflict and stop the death and destruction and therefore get rid of the need for meatball surgery. 
Now, in the Trevor Bauer case, here's where the unanimity unit here. Ready? Four, eight. Oh, we're live. God rang it. Two, eight, sixty-nine for those listening, not watching. I'll tell you where the unanimity was. Winning the World Series in a non-COVID year. That is when you've got total agreement. They looked at their pitching staff and someone in that room said, you know, he's pretty good. Are we sure we just want to pay 22 million for him to go away? Shh, don't talk like that. The players don't want him. The owner doesn't want him. The league doesn't want him. Our sponsors don't want him. We can't have him in the clubhouse. I hear you, but let me just throw this out here. We're the Los Angeles Dodgers. Why don't we take the microphone and say, in this country, one of our firm beliefs is that everyone deserves a second chance. He has served his time for his crime, although he wasn't charged with the crime. He has served his time and we ought to give him a chance. But if he does one thing wrong, that's what you always say to someone who's getting their last chance. This is your last chance. If you as much as look at me cross-eyed, I'm gonna release you. If you as much as show up one minute late to a team function, I'm gonna release you. And by the way, you're going to every signing, every community event, and you're gonna go with a smile. What do I look like, John Rocker? Well, not exactly. Trevor? Very strange, unanimous at the end. <sighs> I think we should take a break, Coca. When we come back, we're gonna review a movie that one of you asked me to watch and I did called Goodnight Oppie. And then we're gonna talk what's going on in Baltimore and you're gonna smile. We'll be right back. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the show where alliterations rule the day. If you just watched that commercial live on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, you just saw quite a few alliterations. If you're listening to this, then you listen to other stuff, other commercials, other people paying CBS for what we're doing. Okay, I watch a movie every day and I love it. I can get into any argument I want on Levitard about who knows more movies, me or Adnan, and it doesn't much matter to me. I don't know the trivia of what the person in 1960 was wearing. I haven't seen every movie. I'm just telling you that I watch movies and I like suggestions that you give me. Not every movie I watch is good, but I'm gonna give you the truth about what I watch and whether I think it's good and then you're gonna watch it. And if you agree with my opinions, then you're gonna take my opinions. And if you disagree with my opinions, then you're gonna watch the movies that I say don't watch. Either way, you're a winner. Got that, Lebo? Lebo? Good night, Oppie. Did you know there was a Mars rover that was sent into Mars that was supposed to last 90 days? 
There were two of them. They were built over the course of years. They were rocketed up to Mars. They landed on Mars after six months. And then one of them lasted for 15 years. Now I grant you, there's not a lot of development on Mars. There's no zoning requirements. Not many people. What they were looking for was water and to see whether or not there was water that was potable or water that could form life looking for some sort of microscopic life because, hey, we may need that planet one day. The reason I loved Goodnight Oppie as a documentary is I learned something I didn't know. I had remembered Mission to Mars and I had watched The Martian and I'm thinking about Mars and I look in the sky and say, wow, look at the Saturn, look at the rings of Saturn or wow, is that the North Star? I think I'm heading west. Wait, is that the brightest one? I can't even figure out which the North Star is if you don't know which way north is. They all look bright to me. Ah, oh, Christ, that's a Musk satellite again. You just don't know. But in this case, these things go to Mars and the same people, they followed them through 15 years. They were videoing the entire time. Guess who got older in the 15 years? Not just the people who were manning the mission, and I don't mean manning it on Mars, but manning it from a control booth, but the actual person who was number five, is alive. These people fell in love with their rover. Their rover had a personality that would tell the rover when to go to sleep. They'd tell the rover when to wake up. They'd tell the rover what to look at. And they're looking at rocks. He'd get stuck and then he'd be quiet for a few months and then wake up. It was a whole thing. It goes up and down as you watch the plight of Opportunity, which was the name of the rover that lasted the longest. There were two of them, a man and a woman, or a boy and a girl, I don't think that they created other rovers. They forgot to build those parts. But it, by the way, why isn't Musk doing that? Why don't you send rovers to planets who can copulate and make other rovers and then you could go for like a hundred years and then you could map out the entire planet and look for that one drop of water. Let's not get started on oxygen. We don't need that because we may evolve to the point where you don't need it. And we can maybe get there in fewer than six months or 10 years, or however many years. Good night, Oppie. You had me at hello. Watch it, learn something. And the worst part is, because of my emotional state, which is basically full of wires, because I'm totally a robot in my old life, I was very emotional at the end. When Oppie is finished, it's as though Oppie died, and I'm feeling a little verklempt right now. I'm just hiding it because we're live. And the reason I'm a little overclemmed is that you get emotionally attached to this thing and you've put your life into this thing and then all of a sudden it's gone. It's why I don't have dogs. I don't wanna put my emotional life into something and then have it go. Okay. In 1992, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> can we stop, Coca? I mean, we can't stop, can we? Okay. In 1992, I was a third, a second year in law school. I was going to Cardoza, which is Yeshiva University. And at the time, my stepfather, Jeffrey Loria, said, hey, do you wanna to come to Baltimore? I'm trying to buy the Baltimore Orioles. And I said, yeah, it's a train right away. I'm happy to go, it sounds cool. I walked into a bankruptcy court where the owner of the Orioles was a guy named Eli Jacobs who was not there. And he went bankrupt, which happens. That was Tom Hicks before Tom Hicks was Tom Hicks. And there was a judge named Cornelius Blackshear in a very, very hot courtroom. And there was an auction where the current owner of the Cardinals, Bill DeWitt, was part of the bidding, where Tom Clancy, the author, was in a group, where Peter Angelos was in a group, 
where the head of Beatrice Foods was in a group whose name escapes me, and Jeffrey Loria. The bidding goes back and forth, and he's got his bankers and his lawyers, and I'm just sitting there and watching and schwitzing, not involved in any way, not knowing what my future would be. I was in law school. I wanted to be a district attorney. That's what I wanted to be, was, was Robert Morgenthau, really. And Peter Angelos bought the, an bought the angels. Come on. Peter Angelos bought the Orioles for $173 million in bankruptcy auction in 1992. Jeffrey Loria bid 172 and was known as the underbidder. But it went back and forth like an auction for a painting. 1 million, 2 million, 3 million. They went up and up and up. And Loria stopped at 172. Angelos said 173. Loria said, congratulations, you're the new owner of the Baltimore Orioles. And the rest is history. One of the reasons why the team went for so little is that at that time, the Orioles were in a new ballpark called Camden Yards. And it was the jewel. All you wanted was to have an opportunity to have Camden Yards as your home park. As part of the due diligence of buying the Orioles, you got all the player contracts like Cal Ripken's contract, and they were not making a lot of money back then. But there was no real opportunity for increased revenue at that moment. So banks were not willing to loan a lot of money to these bids because they didn't really know where broadcast revenue was going to go. And they looked at the numbers and said, you can't raise ticket prices by that much. It's already sold out. They've already raised it as much as they can do. And so here's your potential upside. Here's your debt service on the money you're borrowing. You're not gonna make money. All of that was wrong because now they're worth over a billion dollars. But Camden Yards in 1992 was the jewel. Well, while we're sleeping, it's now 2023. Camden Yards is not the jewel anymore. Rob Manford and other people in the commissioner's office and team owners and team presidents, they're always talking about new stadiums. And what they say is there are teams that need to be taken care of. And once they're taken care of, then we're all set. Right now in baseball, it's the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland A's. Except the cycle never ends. Because Tampa and Oakland, when they get their new stadiums, they're not last of the old new stadiums, they're first of the new new stadiums. Guess what? Arizona wants a new stadium. Atlanta has gotten two new stadiums. And Baltimore is talking about what they need because Camden Yards does not present the revenue opportunities. It doesn't have the premium areas. It doesn't have what you need to maximize your revenue in this new world. But when they signed a lease, and I remember seeing this lease back then, you sign an original lease that allows for extensions. Like when you sign an apartment or an office lease, you can sign a five-year deal that has a two-year extension that can be exercised by you as the lessee at a predetermined rent. The Baltimore Orioles have a lease for Camden Yards that runs out at the end of this season, and they have the ability to up it for five more years. And they woke up the other day and said, you know what? We may be fighting amongst ourselves. Our dad may be on death's door. I don't speak to my brother. I don't speak to my mother. And we're going to sue each other until the cows jump over the moon. We are the most disgraceful franchise because A, we don't win. B, we can't figure out how to compete in the AL East. But above all, we can't even be nice to our own siblings. Before it's too late, you may want to be nice to your siblings. So the Orioles announced that they were not going to renew the lease because why would you not renew a lease? Would you say if you're the owner of the Baltimore Orioles, because you want more public money for renovations. And in order to do that, you have to be Melkis, friendly, 
with the public officials. And that's what the Orioles are. So the Orioles announced that they were not renewing the lease, but they did it with a quote from the governor and about the governor. The CEO of the Orioles is a guy named John Angelos. He's the one we've talked about on this show. He's the one fighting with his brother, Louie. He said, we greatly appreciate Governor Moore's vision and commitment as we seize the tremendous opportunity to redefine the paradigm of what a major league baseball venue represents and thereby, wait for it, this is important in every stadium deal, here it is, revitalize downtown Baltimore. Hell yeah. Now, of course, Camden Yards did that back in the day. It revitalized all of Baltimore. But now they're saying we got to re-revitalize, re-squared. We're going to re-up. To do it, we're going to need public money. We've fallen by hard times here in Baltimore, and the best way to get through those hard times is with your money, not with ours. It is my hope and expectation that together with Governor Moore and the new members and new chairman of the MSA board, that's like a county commission, we can again fully realize the potential of Camden Yards to serve as, wait for it, a catalyst for Baltimore's second renaissance. There's only one thing better than a first renaissance when you're getting public money to build a facility, and that's a second renaissance. I'm not sure you could have a second renaissance, sort of like a rebuild of a rebuild. And you think that what they really said behind the scenes to the governor is, listen, not only are we not renewing the lease, but this team could move. Now, John Angelos and the rest of the Baltimore Orioles, people have denied that they're moving the team. They've said the team will never leave Baltimore. But I can promise you that if they don't get the type of public money they want to revitalize for a second renaissance of the Baltimore downtown, which is code word for, we want a billion dollars so we can redo all of Camden Yards. If they don't get that, they're gonna start with the leverage of relocation. They can protest all they want. We will never move this team. If you are trying to sell a team with the, which the Orioles are gonna be sold, mark my words, to maximize your price, you've gotta have owners or potential buyers come in and be able to model the possibility of relocation or model the possibility of a brand new, revenue-rich, publicly financed ballpark. That's the reality of how to maximize. And Peter Angelos, if he knows one thing about asbestos, he knows the best thing about asbestos is when you suck it in, you're also sucking out the money. We'll see what happens there, but I sort of laughed at that quite a bit. But when they deny their lease extension, just don't think for any minutes that they're doing it for any other reason than maximizing the amount of public money. Nothing personal pick of the day. We won. Did you have it? Knicks were getting a point and a half at home from the heat. On the day the NBA All-Star Reserves were named and Jalen Brunson and Jimmy Butler got hosed, if you could call it that. The Knicks beat the heat and we won. Big game tonight. Big game. It's not, can we stop? Ready? Four, eight, 60, and nine. There's a game tonight in the NBA, Suns versus Celtics. The Suns are getting 10 from the Celtics. It is a slam dunk. The Celtics just beat the Nets by 68 points. It was a total crushing. They were up in the first quarter like 46 to 16 or 49 to 16. Coming off a blowout like that, the obvious thing to do would be to take the Celtics. We're taking the Suns plus 10. Suns plus 10 
versus Celtics. Well, it is our first weekend without football since I'm trying to uh, decide when it was. I'm going to say August. Is that right? September, October, November, December, January, February. It's been half a year. This is our first time without football. And the Super Bowl is coming up. The Eagles are in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. We've got football next week. It's the Pro Bowl. One thing that is told to all owners when there is a World Series going on or a Super Bowl going on, it's the following. Shut your yapper. We want our sponsors and our fans focused on gambling. We want to maximize revenue. We want to have parties. We don't want problems. Don't get yourself arrested. Don't be menacing. Don't do anything with someone who doesn't want to do something with you. And for the love of God, don't leave your playbook around. And to all the owners who are not in the Super Bowl, could you please just get on your yacht and enjoy your time off? Jerry Jones was unable to do that. Jerry Jones came out and started talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. Jerry Jones owns a team that's in the same division as the Philadelphia Eagles. Jerry Jones had the following comments about the Philadelphia Eagles. Keep in mind, the Eagles who were in the Super Bowl and the Cowboys who have not been in the Super Bowl or in the NFC Championship in 28 years. He was talking about the fact that in his mind, the Rams won the Super Bowl last year because they're stupid, and the Eagles are in the Super Bowl this year because they're stupid. His definition of stupid is not based on whether or not they're a member of Mensa. It's not based on whether or not you know that three to the second is nine and not six. It's not based on any of that. It's based on his view that if you go all in and you trade away a bunch of draft picks and you sign a bunch of players to a bunch of deals, you have a bunch of guaranteed money out there, you better win because it's not sustainable. And given the salary cap, you're not going to be able to keep certain players and therefore you're going to suck. And he said, believe me, I'm right. Look at the St. Louis Rams. No, don't look at them because they're the Los Angeles Rams. They built up their team. They won their Super Bowl. And look what they did trying to defend their Super Bowl. Nothing. They didn't even make the playoffs. That's true. The Rams, a year after winning the Super Bowl, did not make the playoffs. What's not exactly true is that the Eagles did exactly what the Rams did. While the Rams did trade picks, the Rams do have... Uh, uh, it's Friday. While the Eagles did trade picks, they have picks in the 2023 draft. They have first round picks. They've got what could be a sustainable model. But even if they did, in theory, go all in, the truth is they could be good next year too, but it doesn't matter. It's all about winning Super Bowls. That's it. Do you think that Jerry Jones would be protesting about the way the Rams and the Eagles did it if he didn't look at his own team and say, wait a minute, I'm doing it wrong. But I can't say I'm doing it wrong because I'm the owner and the GM. So instead, he said... Anyone who thinks I won't take a chance has misread the tea leaves. I've never read a tea leaf. I don't know what that means to misread one. But I do think longer term. And I'm real hesitant to bet it all for a year. A lot of things can happen for that year. In essence, and here comes the jealousy, we're seeing a couple of teams, Rams and Eagles, that have had some real success putting it all out there and paying for it later in Philadelphia and Los Angeles. Well, it's not later. Philadelphia is just about to play the Super Bowl, and it is later for the Rams because they had a bad year this year. That's true. But he didn't stop there. 
he felt the need to keep talking because he needs his fan base. He needs all of you. It's not enough that they're worth the most of any team anywhere. He needs you to understand that he's not bad at his job, which clearly he is given the performance on the field. He said, when asked about whether or not the Cowboys should be the most aggressive team in making trades and free agent signings, or should they be what they are, which is too hesitant to take chances, which side of the aisle do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the far right or the far left? And he said, I like where we are right now, more in the middle. Now, politically speaking, I can give you the top 10 reasons why I think it's good to be somewhere in the middle and that the extreme left and the extreme right are much like the horseshoe and they're pretty close together in their inability to get anything done, which makes us all look incompetent. And if you're somewhere centrist, there's a bigger opportunity and a better opportunity to appease people on both sides of the aisle and maybe function. I could say that about politics, but in sports, I'm never going to say it's good to be in the middle. And this is talking from a guy who the majority of his 18 years, other than winning the World Series and other than a few years that were really sort of horse crap, pretty close to the upper middle, sometimes lower upper, missed the playoffs, competitive through September. I'm not trying to give you my resume or trying to say how good I was. I'm trying to say being in the middle in sports is the absolute worst place to be. You don't want to be in the middle. Either you want to be tanking or you want to be winning. When you are winning nine games a year, or 10 games once in a while, eight games once in a while, and you know going in that you cannot win a Super Bowl, that's what you want? I don't want an owner who does that. I don't wanna be a fan of a team who's satisfied in being in the middle. If I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm telling Jerry Jones, my GM and my owner, listen, go all in. Get us a Super Bowl and I'll take four years in the negative. No problem. But get me the ring. I don't want to lose in the first round every year. I don't want to be what the Ravens have been, where they're losing them, where you know Coca, the huge Ravens fan who's despondent because his team can't win. I don't want that for myself. I like the extremes. I want to be full Billy Joel and go to extremes. Why? Because when you win it all, they can't take it away from you. You get the jewelry. You have to balance the long term somewhat. I'm not critical of teams who try to go for it. Now, am I jealous of them? Yeah. Am I jealous of teams that have the ability to go for it year after year or spend money? And then do I root against them? Yes. Are there teams rooting against the Eagles the way they were rooting against the Rams? The way they were rooting against the Florida Marlins in 1997 when Wayne Huizinga went all in? I know it sounds crazy, but go back and look. Go back and look. But there's one thing that you don't say when you are an owner. You don't say that you're good to be in the middle. Don't ever be in the middle. I got a little prediction to make for you. This is a good one. Wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen. And when it happens, we'll revisit it, I promise. When it doesn't happen, we revisit it. We have a whole spreadsheet that has our picks of the day. I don't run from those like other people. I have our reviews and I have our wait to sees and I don't run from things that I say that end up being wrong. But I'm gonna give you a wait to see about Dallas. I'm gonna start easy and work my way to hard. Wait to see. Dallas isn't gonna win the Super Bowl next year because you don't win it from the middle. That's one. A little harder. Wait to see. It'll be another year that Dallas does not make it to the NFC Championship. That's a tough one for Cowboys Nation to hear, isn't it? Jerry, wait till you hear my third one. Wait to see. 
you're not even going to win the NFC East. It's a triple wait to see on a Friday. Stay warm, stay safe, and guess who you'll see Monday at 8 a.m. live? This guy here. It's just business. This is nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones, who get it done.